Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leavingalegacy. Magic is power. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? Not much, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. How's dog how's dog dad life? Uh, it's good. I uh you might notice because I now have this like big metal cage behind me. I see me. that. Yep. Is that <laughs> is that for the girl? Because now you have a dog in the house. Yep. And it's uh it's funny because I, I think it's concerned a couple of my students because you know I teach I teach classes from home and you know it's just my webcam in my office and there's just this cage behind me. And like only a couple of them have mentioned anything. And like one student was like, Hey, uh, what type of dog do you have? You have a dog, right? <laughs> Listen, if people have a gimp, they keep it in their basement. If Pulp Fiction has taught me anything, it's that, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but dog dad life is great, though. She did, uh, you know, poop on the floor three times today. She had a little bit of an upset stomach. So, you know, that's, oh. that's the life. But would you um, give her? Did you give her something different? All I gave her was plain pasta last night. She, she tried her first human food, plain pasta. And just, you know, definitely blew it out today. So no yeah. more plain pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, that does happen. That does happen with the little ones. Yeah. But she is absolutely adorable. Uh, you know, little little teddy bear of a dog. Yeah. I saw a um I was at the dog park the other day with one of my dogs, and uh someone there had a golden doodle. And it was like, I haven't seen your dog in person, I've just seen pictures. And seeing a golden doodle in person, it's like a, like like exactly what you said, a living teddy bear. Yep. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen. It was the most adorable dog. Like, well, me and my girlfriend will be walking her and like strangers will come up and just like, is that a, is that a real dog? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Winnie, Winnie's her name and uh, she's great. Yeah. Cute dog, man. Cute dog. So yeah. uh, I heard you went out and played some magic this weekend. I did. I did. I played some team unified legacy this week at spoiler alert, our guest this week's fine establishment. Nice, nice. And how'd you guys do? Uh, we got crushed, absolutely oh. destroyed. <laughs> but see, the problem with team tournaments, Pat, is it doesn't matter if you win. You need your team to win. Jerry, how'd you do personally? Uh, I won a game. Okay. <laughs> so, so, Jerry, so you need the team to win, right, Jerry? Yeah, yeah. The thing about Team Unified is, you, like I said, Pat, you need your team to win. <laughs> so what did you play by the way because if if, if unify unify kind of puts a unique wrinkle in like deck construction so what did you end up playing uh so i ended up playing uh mono black uh helm combo oh so really yeah i figured it was a good choice so because it's team unified reanimator is usually pretty popular in the room Mm -hmm. so i figured a deck running you know eight main deck uh ley line of the void effects would be pretty good Mm mm-hmm uh, and it was, it, it was, it did, it did pretty well. Um, but yeah, it's basically like four Dothy Voidwalkers, four Leyline of the Void, and then uh, Helm of Obedience uh, for the combo win. Yep. And just a whole bunch of like tutors for like Wishclaw Talisman and then Karn uh, tutoring a copy out of the board. So even though it's like a mono deck deck, uh, mono black deck, it's actually pretty consistent. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. But yeah, round one, I lost to Elves. 
Round two, I won against uh, Yori on Death and Taxes. And then round three, Pat, I got my dream matchup. I played against Rodney. <laughs> you know, oh, <laughs> the whole reason why I played this deck was to play against Rodney and beat him, you know, because, you know, he's running the uh, the World Gorger Dragon reanimator. And, uh, you know, I, I'm like, yes. I even like slow clapped as he sat down. I was <laughs> talking so much shit. I'm like, yep. yes, this is what I planned for. You know, I pur- purposely sat in the middle seat so I could bear it against you. And uh, then he dream crushed us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh yeah i had a I had a turn one win in my hand uh but rodney won the die roll and he had a turn one win in his hand so he won the game <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then i won game two and then game three i ended up uh doing turn one dark ritual uh trinisphere yep and he's like oh man that sucks and then i proceeded to not draw land for the rest of the game uh so you just fuck, you just whiffed <laughs> while he yeah he he drew out from under the trinosphere and i basically got stuck under my own trinosphere uh, uh and then we got the buy round four so that pretty much uh, ended my yes. my day <laughs> <laughs> but that that's just my day you know no one wants to hear about the o2 drop sandwich uh, sandwich bracket uh really i wanted to invite on the cast the owner of eld time vault games uh, Eric Dupi, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Awesome to be here. Yeah. Uh, this is your <gasps> first time on the cast, right? Or, no. A couple times. Oh, okay. Yeah, been a couple first times. One. Yep. I, I, I've I been just, on one for you. And then they, uh, <laughs> oh, and I ran right. it. You were, I, I forget what you were off uh, being a socialite or something. I, I forget what it was. Probably, probably. But uh, <laughs> it just blurs together, you know, because we have such a, you know, a strong pontification session. Every time we come to the uh, the store, it blurs mm-hmm. together True. with the podcast. Yeah, we probably should also record it there. You could get, I like, know, right? Episodes. Just yeah, we can record see, the yeah. back and forth. Efficient, efficient. <laughs> yeah. Just get a little uh, camera crew to follow you around. <laughs> exactly. Pat, can you, can you write that down, Pat? Yeah, uh, that's definitely in the budget for sure. All right, cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything needs to be content, Jerry. Even when we talk to our friends, just like it casually, everything needs to be made in content. The, you know, don't wait. Waste not, want not, right? It's, it's the influencer life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, Eric, how, what was uh, what was the term like from uh, your perspective? You know, you've, you've done a couple of these team unified uh, tournaments. How, how do they generally turn out? They're really... The reception is enthusiastic. People love being able to approach legacy from a different angle without kind of reinventing the wheel. I mean, I've seen stores try and do silly things like ban brainstorm or force of will. And I have no interest in that. But when you do a unified format, you're saying at most a third of the room is going to be force of will at most a third is going to be brainstorm. And it creates some really interesting deck building challenges that you know, the more creative players are, are really game to try and figure out uh, the the champions actually uh, were talking after the event uh, with their play mats hung around for another like 10, 15 minutes. And one thing they pointed out was like splitting Lotus petals mm. has been very strong for different combo decks. Hmm, uh, the yeah. ability to just run a couple in both decks, which is not something that would be obvious at first glance at, you know, just you'd think like, all right, I'm going to try and make three decks that have like no overlap. Yeah, uh, but the fact that's that, what that's what we did, and we got crushed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad starting place, but if you can field three decks that do incredibly well versus things that don't have force of will, mm-hmm. I mean that's a it's a dangerous dangerous mix. And I, I think having multiple lotus petals or lotus petals split amongst the decks does give you that type of option. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy them a lot, and it's awesome to see 
the attendance starting to go back up. Uh, you know, the summer was hit all over the place. There were there were people that were very excited about events, and then at the last minute, you know, they they get to see somebody they haven't seen for the last two years. So people were just you know getting crushed by you know some people had two weddings in the same weekend. I mean, it was just wild. People <laughs> finally getting back out there. Uh, but, you know, we had uh, 27 for the last legacy. Uh, this unified was 33 players. Uh, we had 23 players for the last FNM for legacy. So nice. we're really starting to see the the players come back out and magic being just like a part of their lives again, actually getting out. And, and it's just great to see. It's one of my favorite parts about having a store is seeing that and, you know, the friendship and the camaraderie that comes along with, you know, the competition uh, it's, it's kind of unique. I mean, you don't see it in that many other types of hobbies where you're, you know, you're really competing against like on a one-on-one basis, but it's still so friendly. You know, it's not like you're competing for a spot on a roster or something. It's, mm-hmm. It really is something that everybody can kind of be at their level and looking to improve and still have just a really awesome, you know, use a word my daughter would use vibe, you know what I mean? <laughs> Good vibes only. Good vibes only. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. And I, I can definitely sense that too uh, from the player aspect, uh, especially with this unified tournament. So I ended up, we were a, a six man team that we divided into two, three man teams. Um, and like we grabbed friends who like, it was their first, this was like, this tournament was their first legacy tournament since the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so it was cool because like the unified, it was like, they wouldn't have just gone to a regular legacy tournament on their own, but we were like, Hey, we got five dudes. We need a six, like, come out. We'll give you, we'll give you a deck. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing. Fun thing is, uh, you know, putting together six legacy decks and everyone just like piling their collection together. It's like, all right, what six decks can we build, <laughs> you know, from, from these collections, <laughs> uh, which, uh, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely was, uh, subscribe. I mean, like, five minutes before the tournament started uh my teammate was like yeah so uh i don't know if i should run like three wasteland or four wasteland i'm like what do you mean i'm running four wasteland he's like no i'm running four wasteland <laughs> i was like all right i need four swamps give me four swamps <laughs> oh wow that's what those swamps were about okay yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I uh i dipped into the the store basic land stash for uh some four swamps <laughs> I mean, it works for Rodney, right? Just those, those swamps seem to work out for his mana base. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. You know, hey, when in doubt, just run more swamps. It's it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, my team was, uh, we did uh, Jeskai Stoneblade, Mono Black uh, Void Helm, and then uh, Mono Green 12 Post were our three decks in our list. Yeah, and... I think Cloud Post has a lot of, a lot of room like there's so much you could do with that deck and i don't really see a ton going on with it mm-hmm. um, i think maybe it's because candelabra isn't the most accessible card but well man. the mono the good thing is the mono green 12 post list doesn't run candelabra and i like, know like, i yeah, know that's, i'm not sure that's totally optimal we'll see like yeah we who did we have a back on uh this was probably a couple years ago pat uh but he was the big mono green 12 post player was it scott i think it was uh yeah scott pierzer yeah um, yeah um because yeah he 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 was always saying how you know he didn't really like candelabra in the list uh for one reason or another i know i'm not smart enough to remember or put it eloquently so you know i'll refer back to that you know way out of date episode <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd imagine prismatic ending really changes the calculation like it, mm-hmm. it was the type of permanent that you could jam before counter magic got online yeah and then it was just there to ruin the game for your opponent kind of like an aether vial but i feel like that's really changed with 
to the uh, prismatic ending and to mm-hmm. a lesser extent the uh, the march of uh, otherworldly lights mm-hmm. like, there's just actual removal even teferi can can bounce it so also like everyone and their mothers running meltdowns now to deal with uh you know the urza decks that's true that, that is definitely true though i don't know that 12 host is the type of deck you'd bring it in against hitting yeah their- probably not is- probably not because well i mean you could get the maps but even then that's Sometimes. that's a that's a pretty iffy get yeah like if you're lucky you get their maps yeah i guess it also it hits the uh pithing needles that they're usually using for wastelands yeah yeah that actually reminds me like uh, there was a really fun interaction. So the YouTube channel been able to like devote some time toward that. And there's a video that I'll be doing soon uh, talking about how to counter assassin's trophy with stifle. And mm. this is all of these really oh. fun rules interactions. So try this one on for size with dark depths. Yeah. Uh, you have your dark depths. You target it with your thespian stage. Mm-hmm. Legend rule happens. Now I've got a thespian stage, which is a dark depths with zero yeah. counters on it. That's when your opponent's going to use their wasteland, their assassin's trophy, whatever removal they have on your land. So if somebody tries to assassin's trophy there and you're on a build that runs stifle instead of pithing needle, uh, you actually just stifle your state trigger. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it you have a thespian down. stage with no counters. So it actually goes back on the stack. On, the sta- on top of the assassin's trophy. Yeah, oh, it's just a really fun play. I, I really... <laughs> I, I love these blue splashes. Like I, the last time I played a green cloud post deck, I was running blue for Uro and brainstorm mm-hmm. and, uh, and those blue splashes can really, that's I mean, pretty spicy. They, they get I tricky. Like that. They get yeah. really tricky. Yeah. It's, it's mm. been, it's been fun. The videos that I've been doing about like rules interactions and judge calls have actually been getting a, a decent little bit of attention. I was surprised because yeah. we mostly do, you know, the feature matches, the whole reason for the YouTube channel is to, you know, kind of, shine a spotlight on the players that are doing well and you know getting mm-hmm. these feature matches and winning tournaments uh, but people are responding really well to the the judge calls and stuff so it's, it's been <laughs> it's been fun awesome yeah, yeah those corner cases are always really fun and interesting to learn because you know it, it just helps broaden your base of no, of knowledge for for magic you know it's like a little brain teaser too. Totally, like, yeah. Like people like kind of the puzzle aspect of like working out the rules and intricacies <laughs> Do you remember like back in the day when they had like the duelist with duelist? I was just going to say, play? yeah, the what's the play articles. Yeah, uh, I used to love, I, I, it was way above my head because I was so young and like only played kitchen table magic. But I remember looking at them being like having no idea how to do like how to how to make the thing happen. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? for, for those who aren't uh, young in the teeth or uh, we're, oh, that was a weird way of saying for those who are not old in the tooth. <laughs> Uh, there used to be these series of uh, articles that, you know, back when we got our magic content in print form, but, you know, before the, uh, the, the internet, they had these little like board states where they would say, it's like, you can win this turn, figure out how you win. Or, you know, even though it looks like you're about to die right here, there is a way for you to prevent yourself from dying. What's the play to prevent yourself mm-hmm. from dying? And it was always these like really complex, convoluted board states uh, to like piece together that were a lot mm-hmm. of fun to, you know, pull apart. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And it was like, you know, because I was at the stage then where like I didn't even really f- fully grasp the rules because you're just trying to look at the sixth edition booklet that comes in your starter deck. And like, that's how you figure out the rules of the game. You know what I mean? So, yep. uh, yeah, it was it is. I, I actually had copies of the Duelist, the ones that I had purchased as a kid for a long time i think i got rid of them a few years ago but i wish i still had them because uh i would love to go back and look at those again 
Yeah, it's always fun. So every once in a while, someone like pulls one out of their closet and they open yeah. up like the pricing section, and it's like, yeah, oh look, uh, Alpha Black Lotus is like a hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. I remember talking to my wife about it like uh like a year or two ago, and I was like, you know, if I had been like about like a thousand dollars to invest as a sixteen year old. I like I like to be able to retire early. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you could it was it was insane like the the, the amount of value that exploded after uh, I was a kid. Uh, yeah, if you take $1000 by $1000 worth of alpha and then in 2010 flip that alpha into bitcoin and you would have been able to retire quite comfortably, I think. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy, man. Uh Eric's nodding cuz he's like, "Yep, that's how I did it." <laughs> <laughs> easy. It's easy. um speaking of that uh you are uh you are big in the the vintage scene right eric i'm gonna segue into what we were talking about at the tournament uh uh, oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean i actually primarily identified as a vintage player for the longest time and Mm -hmm. any place that was running a high stakes vintage tournament i was taking a look at the prize support and seeing if it made sense one of my fondest memories is going to spain and winning a beta lotus took my wife along for that one i mean Vintage was my format up until mm-hmm. they ended up restricting Brainstorm and Ponder and Gush. And I mean, at that point, we saw a big exodus of people toward Legacy. It was the format that allowed you to exercise that play skill. And, you know, you don't really have an option to play like a good control deck when you don't have the ability to exchange your answers because there are no wrong threats. There's just wrong answers to those Mm. threats. And Mm. what we see in vintage for the most part is the answer is just winning at this point. Yeah. Like, I mean, occasionally you have something like a Hercules recall to clear the the board in its entirety. If you're playing against a a workshop deck, but it tends to be better to just win the game instead. Mm. And that's just kind of the difference that I, I think is a lot of fun in legacy. Like you can see things like bank control, things like swords to plowshares being relevant. And uh, you just, at this stage, I just don't really feel like that's the type of magic I'm going to play if I'm playing vintage. And part Mm. of that is because I don't get to play it that much. I mean, if I'm playing vintage, I'm going to be playing something totally broken. I'm not going to be looking to just sleeve up something that runs, you know, death, right. Shaman and abrupt decay and, Mm -hmm. and try and meta game. You're just going to play the most busted thing you can and try and make some truly outrageous plays because it is so rare at this point that you actually get to play. I mean, we do monthly vintage, uh, but even that is a pretty light turnout. The last, uh, since the pandemic, it's been very light. Like it hasn't come back the same way that legacy has Hmm. Uh, in part because we don't have like a weekly series supporting it. I mean, legacy is growing so much here because, you know, we we're doing Wednesdays and Fridays on a weekly basis. So we actually, the last uh, F and M we had like, I think five or six people under, 16 i mean we got people yeah, bringing oh, that's kids. awesome yeah, uh, we got a pair of brothers that blood. are playing yeah new blood to the format good it's yeah great to see. yeah and but, uh, you know they're playing budget decks like that they've mm-hmm. saved up for themselves which is awesome and being successful with them uh, oops all spells i did a whole series on on the youtube channel about like seven or eight different budget decks including rodney's mono black uh, reanimator dragon uh tony who's been on the show a bunch of times tony scaponi mm-hmm. he has a ruby storm list that actually yeah. runs ruby medallion not his current build uh, with mm-hmm. the leds and everything but just old school 
Ruby Storm with Ruby Medallion, and that comes in probably around a grand. So, I mean, it's cheaper than modern. Like that's the reality. Most yeah, the the deck I was running on uh, Sunday that was under a thousand. The mono black uh, uh, Void Helm deck. You know, yeah. most expensive card in that deck is like it's running two City of Traders, and pretty much everything else besides that is uh, you know non reserve list. You know, under a hundred bucks easily. Yeah, you know what's crazy? Helm is on the reserve list. Oh, that's actually right. You're right. I forgot about that. That Helm is is a reserve list card. It's I like it's like a Lurin. It's one of those reserve list cards. That is like it sees consistent legacy play, but yet still somehow flies under the radar a lot for a lot of people. I mean, nobody's going to be shocked when Helm is like a $500 card. Everyone's going to be like, of course, like, obviously, like at some point, if they print enough support and that card just becomes just like rock solid instead of Mm -hmm. more like fringe. Yeah, obviously. I mean, Force of Wills from the same deck, uh, same booster boxes as an uncommon like you get so many force of wills in an alliance booster box it's ridiculous and i mean it's like half the price of a force of will as a rare and force is not on the reserve list it's wild i mean obviously force of will sees so much more play it's just omnipresent in every format that it's legal but i mean helm is a rare and it's a vintage quality card like that is a card that is seen play in winning vintage decks uh, which says something about its power level so yeah it's just crazy to see that that hasn't really gone crazy. You know, what? I guess maybe this will be the reason for the buyout. Yeah, maybe we caused a buyout on Helm. <laughs> buyout incoming, guys. Uh, but yeah, I mean, especially with the Voidwalker, I've actually I had a harder time finding Voidwalkers than I did the Helm. Like, I feel the Voidwalker is growing in popularity, and I wonder if it's because more people are trying, uh, you know, these style decks out. Because it's it really is good in Commander too. Yeah, no, that is true too. Yeah, I'll, I will say if you would ask, I'm sure I have a whole stack of Void Walkers. Yes. I actually, I almost, I almost bought a playset of you until uh, my buddy came through with at the last minute with some. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the helm. The helm deck was a lot of fun. Like I could definitely see myself playing that deck consistently because um, it's not just like a budget deck. It actually. You know, the best budget decks are budget by happenstance. You know, mm-hmm. you're not trying yeah. to build a budget deck. You're trying to build a deck and it just happens to be cheaper than your normal decks. Yeah, that might be true, though. I suspect, I mean, Rodney is doing that out of necessity. Like Rodney's just like, what am I going to be able to build on this budget? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And he just yep. makes it happen. It's it's amazing. Like that. that's one of those things, like you think about an artist with restrictions. And yep. like sometimes those restrictions actually just make better art is <clears throat> the opposite of what people would think people would right. make it worse. Whereas here it actually just forces them to come up with really sharp, clever ways of making it happen. Yeah, it's, it's true. Um, and you know, Rodney's no stranger to that. I mean, he, he's had a long history of, uh, you know, brewing up decks. He was one of the original like dreadnought uh, builders as well. Uh, yep. which is you know another uh cheaper deck though Phyrexian dreadnought also reserve list card climbed in value quite a bit <laughs> yeah yep that moves around i mean they do keep printing cards that work with it but at the end of the day they're generally not as good as stifle like it's it's like not actually a new card that matters you know what i mean they're like oh here's yeah this, here's this janky planeswalker that works with the dreadnought and right like, yeah but like we already can use dreadnought <laughs> believe me because every time they print one of those janky cards i try and make dreadnought work again and it just it never works <laughs> yeah but he's been doing great with it he's been he playing is, yeah. uh, in our weeklies with uh with dread still they actually uh, so rodney's team made the finals uh, of this past mm-hmm. team unified and one uh-huh. of the seats was dread still and uh, rob rob rogers yeah he said he was just bullying people all day 
Mm. Yeah. No, uh, they, they beat us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's that manifest artifact too. Uh, I, I, it's, uh, was it cons of Tarkir? I think it is, but it's an artifact for three and it has tap manifest the top card of your library. It's a two, two creature. And the way it works is if you manifest a dreadnought, then you can pay one and flip it over. And now you have a Phyrexian dreadnought. But yeah, the thing is, is e- oh, scroll of fate. That's the name of it. Yeah. And it's like, even if you don't hit the uh, dreadnought though, you're still just making a two, two every turn. And a lot of legacy decks actually have a, have trouble with just a two, two every turn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's only so many swords, the plowshares that go around. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. They can definitely go wide. I mean, if they're just dirtling around clearing planeswalkers, like they need to get that repeated value and just get them out of there with the the two twos. It can be tough. Yeah. Once but, the board gets out of hand. What uh what team actually ended up winning? I had to leave early, so I didn't get a chance to see. It was Michael Plum, uh, not Michael Plummer, William Thomas. They they literally just used their real name instead of a team name. It was uh, William, <laughs> Michael, and uh, the third player was AJ this time. Gotcha. What do you know what they what they were on for their uh their list? I don't remember. Uh, the final match that was firing was green 12 posts just being absolutely smashed by a, a four color control or a bant list. Gotcha. I think they had reanimator in one of the seats and I'm not sure of the other one. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I will be posting those. Uh, we switched over to uh, digital deck list, which makes it much easier. Now people just email mm-hmm. the deck list to eldeckreg at gmail.com. So yeah, that was nice. So much easier. I mean, it was the worst part of tournaments is showing up and having to write out your deck list. I mean, it's like doing your homework at the last minute, just having it <laughs> digitally and sending it. And if you need to make some changes, it's not that difficult to just edit the document either. Right. So it's hopefully that'll become part of the companion app at some point and just like i don't know why it's not why you can't just it's part of the melee app isn't it i I don't really understand the mail isn't melee like a a competing app that allows deck lists or something like that i am not sure i don't use that at all yeah i just use the the companion app and then i have some third-party solutions for when we do events that use uh gold border cards because Mm -hmm. we can't do anything through a wizard's official channels for that uh, so I use uh, some software that's mostly for video game tournaments, actually. It's a challenge for anybody looking to do any kind of in-house tournaments. It's just a website that allows you to do, you know, Swiss tournaments, single elimination, double limb, round nice. robin, whatever you need. You can tinker with all the settings. Uh, yeah, challenge.com. Um, yeah, it's just something from, from video game tournaments typically. But, I mean, it works perfect when we do pre-modern or actually that kind of segues into a big event that we're doing at the end of the year. Uh, we're having Jeff Mengus come in, one of the original Alpha Magic artists, and uh, he's going to be coming in for a signing. And there's a new game coming out, Sorcery, which is a bunch of the original Magic artists. Oh yeah, you're telling me about this. Yeah, yeah. So he'll be here to promote that and to you know do signings and everything. But that team trio is going to be Pioneer. I'm sorry, uh, Pre-Modern, Legacy, and 15 Proxy Vintage. Oh, so cool. Three like old school formats where you can play Swords to Plowshares. That's his most. That's the card that you're playing from him that's like the most likely i mean you're probably not sleeving up rock hydra and stuff is <laughs> sorts of plowshares moat bizarre baghdad those are like the biggest eternal playable ones that he's done but mm-hmm. the rest of it's like all just your childhood i mean you know mon goblin raiders and all these like really cool alpha cards uh so it's a lot of fun to to be able to 
bring in somebody like that and have that be like an extra special tournament at the end of the year. I'm, I'm just so much looking forward to that. To, nice. that to me feels like we're going to be on the other side of all of this, you know, craziness where we're just like, we're actually bringing in guest artists and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fully back to normal. So very cool. That's awesome. How did you, um, how did you get him for an event? Was it just as easy as just like messaging him and be like, are you interested in this? How does that work exactly? Getting an artist to your event. So I've always got all sorts of things going on. Um, just kind of how I'm wired. So mm-hmm. in making these leather play mats, uh, I was pulling from all sorts of different sources, um, you know, engravings from medieval era. I mean, just like all sorts of sources. And I had put something out up and Jeff Mengus had commented on it. It was a piece that he really liked and kind of, I could tell like, he also felt like the artist should be credited. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, fair enough. Right. I mean, it's, you know, they're, it's 300 years old, but still, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. Certainly not trying to represent it as my work. Um, but he had reached out to me and we kind of went back and forth a little bit talking about stuff. And he had recommended some different artists. He, he put me on to uh, a beautiful body of work by Henry justice Ford, which I've used many, many times uh, for these play mats. And uh, we're actually working together on a, playmat using some of his art from the early days of magic which was unpublished it wasn't used uh i'm not actually sure what the original intent was but it's a perfect translation over to the playmat because it's just black and white line work yeah but it's from the early 90s so uh, i'll be i'm not quite sure how this appearance is going to work out yet that Mm -hmm. may be part of this mat that may be part of a limited edition run uh, that we're offering for people uh, to purchase i'm not quite sure how that's going to work out but that was the kind of initial conversation uh, oh, beyond just you know just like hey like this is who that artist is type stuff and we kind of went gotcha. back and forth and i'd also met him a couple of times he was at lobster con um where mm-hmm. i had donated uh, a play mat to help them raise money they, they do a great job raising money for charity so i had donated something there uh, to help with that cause and he was there as well so we we talked for a bit but i mean it's one of the original alpha magic artists you know what i mean right yes it's really exciting that's awesome and yeah for our listeners who might not know uh eric for all of his events uh does these really cool laser engraved uh leather play mats uh you also do you know like uh not tokens but uh like magnets and pins actually speaking of you probably could do some like pretty sweet like little leather token things too oh yeah yeah no i've been commissioned to do all sorts of different stuff um every once in a while you know, someone will have a really cool idea and I'll take a commission for either a play mat or some, you know, custom thing. I've got some ideas in the back of my mind for some custom deck boxes. Uh, I've made those actually the last time that I made wooden deck boxes was right before the world shut down. So I haven't really thought about that too much. It was the Theros Beyond Death pre-release and I made a deck box for the Iron Man. Like anybody that played in all of the events that weekend got a free deck box with it. Cause it was like, you know, $200 worth of entries or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I'll definitely revisit that, that at some point, I've got some ideas for some ways that I could do kind of like a living joinery where using the flex of the wood could allow a piece to like slide back in and be like a positive stop. So the deck lid can't come off unless oh, yeah. you like press this piece. And it's possible I could kind of hide that as well with some like engraving so it's not even like obvious that Mm -hmm. that's where you press so yeah i've got some fun stuff but that's kind of 
like my time off <laughs> you yeah. know, like my time <laughs> off is like like that type of thing at this point because uh, as it is the store is certainly a full-time thing i mean i constantly have cards incoming uh, mm-hmm. this is probably more volume in terms of incoming cards and to a degree outgoing cards than i've ever really seen i mean there's prices are strong they're not crazy but they're strong and people are they're being intentional if they've got cards and they're not using them because they haven't played in a decade i'm just seeing more and more people saying you know what it's time for somebody else to be using these and they yeah. take their they take their gains and they ride off into the sunset whatever they're doing buying a new car whatever it is and uh it's it's a lot i mean yeah i mean i'm, I'm gonna be joining that party soon myself as you know i'm gonna be starting looking to buy a house so i'm gonna pick like probably one or two decks and you know i'm gonna keep those and the rest of my collection is like i don't need to be able to put together any deck and legacy right now if i'm gonna just sleeve up sneak and show every time i go out anyways <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that is that is absolutely the story for a lot of players which is what kind of pains me about like magic online is like you look at the difference between those hobbies Mm -hmm. just like a player that's been playing for 20 years potentially has a down payment on a house as a reward for supporting the game and being part of that whereas if you played magic arena for 20 years you have nothing yeah you got got jack shit (laughs) yeah it's just such a brutal difference i mean yeah i i just i can't separate out that part of it i guess it's it's one of my favorite parts of the game. I just, I can't remove just like the trading and the value and the commerce, like that whole market element of it is completely tied up with the, you know, it's a trading card game. Like to not have trading. I just, I, I mean, that, that, that's what I think about. It. I was like, I, when I was a kid, I got into magic and I put, you know, my lunch money towards magic cards. Whereas other kids, you know, they put their lunch money and they saved up and they bought a new like video game system or they bought a new gaming computer. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's great for them. They got enjoyment out of that. But it's like, I still have my magic cards and they are worth a hell of a lot more than a like 1995 gaming computer. If those oh, yeah. existed back then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Magic makes all the other hobbies just look terrible by comparison. Like I love board gaming. I, I really do. <laughs> it's unless your hobby is like fine art collecting, it's probably not a better return than magic. And even yeah. then magic might better have a better return than fine art collecting. <laughs> yeah. Well you don't have to be as good at it. That's actually a major difference too. It's yes. like you can you can be really good at curating art, but like these are normal people that are selling collections. I mean, some of them are were exceptional players that had a lot of success, you know, winning SCG opens and stuff. But like a lot of the time it's just people that, you know, they, they won their fair share. It wasn't crazy. You know, they'd occasionally win tournaments. They'd occasionally be in the money, but it's not like they were just like supporting their household with their magic winnings. These were people that had it as a hobby and enjoyed it. And then here's the thanks is, you know, you've got five plus figures of, of magic cards. It it wasn't that hard back then because I remember I used to go and I would go to F and M and it's like oh I won F and M I got forty dollars in store credit forty dollars in store credit bought me a tundra back in the day yeah so you know it wasn't that hard back in the day to get some pretty expensive cards now off of just you know store credit winnings and mm-hmm. that was something I know we we kind of uh, clashed a bit uh, about on Sunday as we were talking about you know the price point of getting into Legacy and I was saying one of my big complaints about Legacy today is kids can't do that. You know, they can't just, 
you know, win FNM and then put together a blue red Delver after, you know, you know, winning FNM for a couple, you know, for two months. And now they can build blue red Delver. It's like, they need to win. They need to come in first place at FNM for five and a half years straight <laughs> in order to get enough store credit to put together blue red Delver. <laughs> yeah. And no argument there to build blue red Delver. It is a major investment. What I'm, what I was trying to say in that conversation is there are so many budget options where the reserve list is, yep. is not part of the equation. So you look right. at something like eight cast death and taxes, uh, reanimator, Ruby storm, Manalist dredge, those goes on and on. They have options to get into the format. Yep. They just can't play literally any deck that they want. And, yeah. you know, this would be like, if we were, you know, racing automobile, this is going to be a bad analogy, but if you were racing automobiles, it'd be like, yeah, you can't just buy a Ferrari, but as it, as it turns out in this, this isn't so much a race as a demolition derby where it's just like this things go crazy. Like you can play <laughs> games of magic that neither plan comes together. And it's just like, whoever plays the best is going to end up winning. And I mean, we see it every week. I mean, multiple times a week, I see these tournaments where people are playing with the budget and they're still sometimes beating people who have no card availability issues whatsoever. People mm -hmm. that are foiling out their decks at this point. Yep. And you know, that's not to say that, you know, they, they're going to win more. They wouldn't win more if they had better cards. They will. And that's the investment that you make. If you're, if you're winning your prizes, you roll that back into yourself. And the thing that I like about the reserve list is the, the promise of not re, ever reprinting that to a degree maintains that value. So it is an investment where you're going out and you're getting a card for five, $600. So now you're in and you're going to see those gains over the years where 10 years later, if it's more than doubled in price and you got a ton of use out of it, what better investment can you really ask for, for, yeah. for a hobby? You know what I mean? I mean, go ahead, put your money away in your traditional accounts and stuff, but you might be surprised your magic cards may actually out end up outpacing your traditional investments. Oh, my magic portfolio outperforms my stock portfolio every <laughs> single year, like <laughs> without fail. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, but that, that's good. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Eric, cause I did want to transition into the other thing that we were talking about, uh, on, uh, Sunday is speaking of the reserve list. I don't know how many people have really heard about this because this was news to me on Sunday, but it seems like wizards of the coast is kind of flirting with, uh, with proxies a little bit with these, this new dual masters game. Have you, have you heard of this dual masters game, Pat? No, I don't I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to send you an image right now, Pat. And I'm, it, it is, it is a printed, it is not a, you know, uh, photocopied, you know, made in China, anything like that. Uh, you know, like, like paid for proxy, like this is a wizards of the coast product. What? Yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners, you know, it's great having a visual on a radio. Yeah. Show. So I'm looking, I'm looking at, it says it's, it's a black Lotus in foil. It has a giant zero. It looks like it's in uh, Japanese, I think. Yep. It's in yep. Japanese and English. Uh, and it's, it's not even just like, like new art or anything. It's not like it's some random art that just says black Lotus. It's the magic online art for black Lotus. So what, what am I looking at here, Jerry? So wizards of the coast has come out with this new game in Japan only called dual masters 
it's a completely different game, has a completely different back than Magic the Gathering cards, but it uses Magic the Gathering cards basically in... Uh, so basically what this Black Lotus is, it's a Black Lotus like you would see on Magic Online, and then it has yeah. a whole bunch of Japanese text, which doesn't really right. matter for Americans because it's like, oh, Japanese text, it looks cool. But apparently in this game, that Japanese text like says a bunch of different things. Okay. Uh, but it's irrelevant, and people have just been buying these to use as proxy Black Lotuses and cubes and commander decks and things like that. Does it translate to what actual Black Lotus is? No, it translates to something completely different. But again, but again, yeah, it's a, it's a completely different game. It's not magic. It is a completely different card game that wizards came up with that they released only in Japan. And they have like birds of paradise, uh, library of Alexandria. Like there's a whole bunch of these cards. What are they doing? What are they doing? It honest. I was talking to Eric about this and I'll let, I'll let Eric jump in here. But basically what I'm seeing is this looks to me like they're testing the waters of making proc like official proxy reprints and they're disguising it as, Oh, we're just releasing this different game in Japan. Was but these dual cards masters are going to think what I feel like I've heard the name dual masters before. It, it has been around for like 20 years. It's uh, anime and there's the, the game has been around. So this was a kind of an anniversary celebration with magic, the gathering. Okay. Uh, so that's to, to be a little bit more accurate there. It's okay. Yep. I mean, I agree. It does look a little scary, uh, but Wizards is not allowing them in tournament play. I mean, they don't have a crazy market value. They're not really in the same universe. I mean, so these Black Lotuses right now, I'm looking on eBay, they're going for between like 20 and $30. Yep. Um, and it, I think for something like a proxy, like I think that's, that's pretty, I, I would say that's significant. Like the fact that this is more than just like, five bucks or something like that, I think speaks that this card does have, you know, some, some high demand for what is essentially a token. You know, how often do we see like a $20 token? Like maybe like merit lays token was the only other kind of one that I, I can think mm-hmm. of. I mean, so they did a whole bunch of them. There's a Jace, the mind sculptor or yep. birds of paradise. Like they actually did a, a, a bunch yes. of them that are kind of nods to, I mean, more than a nod to Magic the Gathering. It, it's celebrating Magic the Gathering and you know they're both with the same company. Um, I don't know that you can tease out exactly how much of the demand would be from people that actually True. care yeah. about Duel Masters versus Magic the Gathering. I think right. there's certainly overlap and there definitely are people that are buying them. I, I would not be surprised at all if there are people that are buying them with the expectation that they think it's going to go to the moon and uh, that may be like they, they could be priced wrong is what I'm saying. They hmm. could be people that are buying these that are it could over- be GameStop stock is what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a gambler. I, I like to, you know, I, I like to just make money. <laughs> I'd rather just be consistent year over year. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the most risk averse person, but when it comes to just straight up, you know, gambling, that's not really how I do it. So, yeah. you know, if I can buy it for, you know, 10 and sell it for more like that's one thing but to hold on to something like that for a long time that's to me feels very different than holding on to magic seal product which i'm very comfortable with even still even with the crazy print runs Mm -hmm. i'm still everything that comes out i'm still getting it i mean the last i mean three sets have been a bloodbath in a strahd crimson vow midnight hunt and then baldur's gate (laughs) yeah Uh, i was i was talking to michelle about that how baldur's gate is like 
putting stores out of business. Really? Bad. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, really? I did not realize how bad it is because I'm mostly magic singles. It's okay. primarily what I do. And you know, like I'm selling dual lands and stuff. There's not a lot of places where you can come in. You know, I think you were at the counter when this happened on uh, Sunday. Somebody came up, asked for a plateau. I hand him a stack of 30 plateaus to get <laughs> yeah. the condition that he wants. And it's like, you just want revised, right? Because I got alpha and beta. It, when, like, I, when I came in for a volcanic the last time I played, yeah, you had like a stack of like, I don't know, 30 or 40 volcanic islands. You're like, hey, we'll I'll find a good one here for you. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. You get to get the one that actually fits your preference. Yeah. And there's just not a lot of places around there around that do that period anywhere. Right. I mean, never mind. Uh, just like this I, I like the ones with melted chocolate bar on them. That's that's my level of uh, dual. Oh, I see. I like to put my own. Cho- <laughs> I like to put my own melted chocolate on my cards. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you can identify who the former owner is by the fingerprints all over it. <laughs> <laughs> so. So this dual masters thing, it's interesting. It's like a, it's so it's it's basically like this this collaboration between this Japanese game and and Wizards of the Coast essentially. Yep. Yeah, well, okay. Wizards of the Coast owns them both, so they can use. Okay. The IP. Yeah. Huh. But it's straight up. It's like it's Black Lotus Zero Mono Artifacts Foil Magic Online Art. Right. Uh, I forget who it was uh, at the turn who had this that we were talking about, but like he said, he bought it for his cube. Like he. It's, yeah, Matt yeah. Orfanello. Yeah, Matt, thank you. Um, and he's like, he's like, yeah, this is like the most legit proxy I can actually get. Like it's actual card stock. It's you know, right. printed by Wizards of the Coast. It's same thickness as magic cards. Like literally it's it's a magic card with a different back, you know, because it's, it's a different game. Yeah, that's straight. I don't I can't see why. Like, I, yeah, I don't know anything about dual masters. So maybe that's why I'm like my brain is so like uh, wrapped around it right now. But I can't imagine, like obviously they're they're calling to the like the game of magic because it's magic art it's a magic card name like i just feel if they can do that what i would always wanted wizards to do is like i wish they would sell like here's a pre-con cube like here is sure yeah here's like 360 proxies they're not tournament legal you know they're gold border or like whatever but it's like here is like high quality like power and you know high value cards that you want to put in a cube but you know you don't necessarily want to use the real thing, or you know maybe it's just to get you started and you start adding your own real cards. Mm-hmm. And I feel like like something like that could be a grand slam for Wizards, where it's like, yeah, here's you know two hundred and fifty bucks. Here is a stack of you know official Wizards proxies that you can use in cubes and you know your kitchen table magic. It's like you can't right. use them in tournaments, but you know I think there is a definite you know, big market for that because I know plenty of people who buy Chinese proxy ripoffs not to do anything nefarious with them, not to like play them in tournaments or try and sell them, but because they don't want to be putting their actual valuable cards in their like 13th commander deck right, or, their, right. or their cube that they bring to events and let strangers play. And, you know, you can't really keep an eye on eight people at once. So they don't want to, you know, put actual power in their cube. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it would be a grand slam for wizards to come out with a product like that. And, the fact that they're kind of doing this and testing the waters and seeing if it causes an uproar or not. I don't know. I think, I think that I'm pretty hopeful about that. Yeah. I mean, that is something that I talked about a lot before they closed the loophole. That is, I mean, exactly that. I mean, having a gold bordered, like back when they were doing the, from the vaults, I was very big on this idea where it's just like, Oh, that'd be so cool for them to do like a really limited amount the game stories only get like eight total copies and like that could be like something that could have a great value that they can just be printing cash as long as they keep those limits low um 
but yeah, I mean, they've, they've closed the door on that. Cause I mean, even like the gold border cards, like those cards are expensive. <laughs> like yes. I was looking, I was looking at ancient tombs. It's like actual ancient tomb, like $80 gold border, ancient tomb, like $30. And the yep. fact that it's like, it's not tournament playable, but it still has this big demand. You know, I think, I think that wizards might be missing out on a kind of a market there a little bit. I mean, when you say not tournament playable, we should clarify pre-modern does embrace it. And that's where we saw the price take off is once pre-modern said, you know what? Gold border is just the same thing to us. We're a community format. You don't get to tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. That is, I think, the primary factor for those going way up because they they were kind of usable in commander the whole time. Like it was a rule zero conversation where it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. can I use this gold border card? But it my view of history here is that once pre-modern really started to take off that drove it the same way that old school drove the collector's edition cards. Right. Right. That, I mean, old school does significantly better than vintage now. And Mm -hmm. that's in part because they've embraced this no proxy concept. Like if you want the card, but you can go get a gold border version, but like you're still making the sacrifice. And once you do that, like once you actually acquire the cards to play these formats, you think of yourself as a player of those formats. Mm-hmm. And like when a pre-modern event comes around as a pre-modern player, what are you going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to play in the tournament because that's what pre-modern players do. And it, it really does the psychology of it, I think is really relevant there. And it's something I think we can learn from vintage in terms of the, the people that are still playing vintage, the people that show up with consistency to the monthlies all have full power still. Like they're mm-hmm. the only ones that are showing up at this point with any consistency. We do have some, you know, people proxying up a deck here and there, but I mean, we really have to figure out how to rebuild vintage. And at this point, it's just not like a super front burner thing because legacy is, I mean, it's, it took vintage's lunch money. Like it's just the format right now. Like to me, it's the purest form of magic at this point, you know, instead of saying that the mistakes get restricted, the mistakes are just straight up banned. Like we, we, it's like a hall of fame at this point. If you're too good for legacy, <laughs> all right, pat you on the back. You, the yeah. man dread horde, you go off, ride off into the sunset <laughs> with Oko and friends. Yeah. And- we should think about it that way. It's like when you get banned from legacy, it's like, you're not just getting you Like you won legacy. Yeah. You're, you, know? you you're, won your legacy. Jersey, your Jersey got retired. <laughs> yeah. They exactly. retire your Jersey. That's what it is. You know? <laughs> yep. Yep. And- Great analogy. I like that. Yeah, I'm not even salty about it anymore when they print cards that end up getting banned because I, I look at the overall set and at this point I just look at it as an additive thing. Like if you put out a set, even if there's five cards that end up getting banned, which would be Armageddon, like five cards from the same set, you still have like 300 other cards that got added into the format. So Isn't once those like cards are spark? gone. <laughs> yeah, like Modern War... Masters. Isn't that what that is? Yeah, I mean, that's I don't know that they hit five, but yeah. maybe I'm sure someone will correct me. But the fact that you still have all of those other cards, like something like War of the Spark, you still have Angarth's Rampage, Dovin's mm-hmm. Veto, like all of these Blast Zone, like these really interesting fringe kind of tools that we get to use. And it just continually makes Legacy a richer format, mm. even though it's just like, okay, we had some cards that were busted for a while. So you're talking, so you see like the, the points of the format where it becomes. Like a lot of people like bitch. I'm not, I'm not going to call it like unplayable because I think the format's always pretty playable, but like what people bitch and moan about it, that's just, that's just collateral damage for having other cool cards and sets basically. Yeah. I don't think you can design and not go over the line mm-hmm. on occasion and get the most out of it. Like there's a line here and you can, you could 
pull up so short all the time that you never make anything that gets banned. Mm -hmm. And then you leave all of that space because you had to stop short. So it's like, we want to go right up to the line. And that when we, the only way to do that is to occasionally go over it. And we've had Gavin Verhey on the, on the cast, you know, many times in the past. And that's a philosophy he, he talks a lot about is that, you know, I would rather go over the line a couple times than be too afraid to go near it because yeah. you, you end up missing out on a lot of potential there. Yep. It would just be boring and monotonous. Like, and, and, and that's what we saw with the last three sets that you named, you know, <laughs> Crimson yeah. Vow and, you know, Midnight Hunt and Baldur's Gate is, you know, it's almost like there's no such thing as uh, bad news. You know, all, all news is good news. And so like, there, there was no news in those three sets. And I can't think of anything good to say or even anything really happening with those three sets. We kind of we kind of glossed over the Baldur's Gate thing. But can you explain a little more? Was it just a bad like a poor selling set? Is that what happened? So there's a combination of the increased price of the product. Okay. People not being aware of the fact that it was kind of a specialty set. So if you remember when the original modern masters came out the boosters were actually pretty cheap but the, the market set the price accordingly so it is right. actually a bit of a windfall for the stores that were yeah. in tune with the market some stores just got like completely bought out immediately and their players just like got charity essentially they just got to buy a bunch of cheap packs open up like a crazy amount of value and just like literally profit mm. uh, wizards has been trying to capture that with all of these sets so they're pricing them they know how much they're going to print and they can just set a price point. So instead of this being a four or $5 booster, these were, you know, MSRP should have been like whatever, seven bucks a pack. And people really didn't get that messaging. So even still, like if you see people selling Baldur's Gate online, if they're the cheapest person, they're probably just selling at a literal loss. Really? Like, but especially after fees and everything, like it's so Baldur's Gate is not a standard set. It's like a special no, set. No, no. Yeah, like, and that's the thing. There was terrible, yeah, terrible marketing about this because I thought it was just a standard set too. And if you think about it, it's like it should be a home run because it's a D and D magic crossover set. Yeah, like that that should be hugely popular from a flavor standpoint and also just bringing in multiple community standpoint. But yeah, I was like, well, see, advertise it all. I don't buy that though. Like, you're not. Like D&D players who don't play Magic aren't going to buy Magic cards. I, I, I completely disagree with that, Pat, because I have my D&D friends who buy the Magic cards uh, when it was the the first Dungeons & Dragons. AFR, season. yeah. Yeah. yeah Adventures in Forgotten Realms. Yeah. It's, it, I will say, I agree. Like, I would think that you'd be right, Pat. Like, that's what my instincts would be. Mm-hmm. But like I had when Ikoria was coming out, people buying packs just because of Godzilla. And if I was doing a better job explaining that to people, because I'm aggressively bad at selling packs. Like if people, <laughs> if they just get me talking, I'm like, don't, what are you doing with your life? Just, Why are you buying just, packs? Look at all these singles. singles. Look at all these singles. Like, I literally, like, I just have to like intentionally just bite my lip and not say anything. Cause I know yeah. some people like they really enjoy it. And it's like, they work hard and they just want to open a pack without they want that new pack smell they without me. Just, I, I, they brought that back. I've noticed some of the packs actually have that like revised era smell, which is uh, really hundred percent addictive. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> you like, got a can it, Eric. You got to can it and just like release it in the store. Whenever new customers come through. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, if they made a cologne that smelled like new pack, like smelled like old revised packs, I would wear it in a harpy. Yeah. Actually, no, I have to say the packs that I opened the most of as a kid were Tempest. And when I, I, I bought a, a pack of Tempest at uh, Michelle's place, this was like a couple, like a year or two ago and opened it up. And man, talk about like a like a like a sensory memory. You know what I'm saying? Like where <laughs> it just brings you back to being a kid, man. 
was absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Yeah, I would not be surprised if it comes out years later that it's just like actually an addictive. Just a little bit. Aerosol meth. You can have a little. So just a little is okay. A little is fine. A little, a little meth is okay. <laughs> but, man, you should have watched those people sort cards, man. <laughs> yeah. But going back to the Baldur's Gate, though, Pat is like, yeah. So it was terribly marketed. It was an expensive set, and people didn't know why it was an expensive set. And then also, it was just it had nothing in it. Like, there's just no value. Like, they didn't put any good cards in it. There's nothing relevant for really legacy. It's just not a so good. Set. How do they miss Q so badly on something like that? Like, because. Their modern master sets are such massive successes time after time. How do they miss so poor, so so widely on a set like Baldur's Gate? Modern Masters is reprints. They can just look at the market and know what's good. Yeah. If they're printing new cards, like you don't know how people are going to accept these new dragons. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't even know how it's going to go. Like the crazy thing is in a couple of years, all of these like ancient dragons and stuff could end up being like hundred dollar cards. Yeah, right. because like, these all of them are sitting in warehouses unopened because no one bought the pack. So there's so few singles out there. Yeah, that's part <laughs> of it, too. But like just in general, like cards like doubling season, like those end up being super valuable sometimes when people at first look at them and they're like, this is just like this is just kitchen table, goofy stuff. Like a lot of the stuff in Commander that's doing well right now is because of CEDH. Mm-hmm. That That's I think the reality is CEDH is driving kind of its own price wedge so you've got kitchen table which cedh players don't necessarily take as seriously and then cedh which kitchen table players don't necessarily care about so people aren't necessarily on the same wavelength when it comes to these cards which is good for trading you know what i mean like when you got different mm-hmm. pools of people and it's just like oh, i don't care about this i mean i i don't know if i told this before so edit it out if i has but one of my favorite pack openings ever that i witnessed in the store where these guy came in when double masters first came out and he opens the pack with his buddy. They might've went in on it together. And he, he flans through the pack and he gets to Stoneforge Mystic and he is just crestfallen. He's like, oh, it's like, it's a one, two. Like this thing's just garbage for my rare. <laughs> and I look at him like, yes, was that a Stoneforge Mystic? And he's like, I don't know. And he shows me. And I'm like, that card's worth like a pack at that point. It was actually, a sh- I could literally just trade that straight up for another pack. Like here's another one. Try again, keep the rest of the cards. And you're like, really? And he's like, yeah. Give him the new pack. He opens it up. He opens a Godo. Now, if you're not familiar with Godo, that's like a giant, dumb red Stoneforge Mystic at mm-hmm. six mana. <laughs> yep. This is just a terrible card. But it's a commander card. And right. he looks at his friend, and his friend looks at him. Totally non-ironic high five. Like, literally just like, <laughs> yes! And I was just like, this is just... Like that's amazing. Like yeah. I don't, I don't even know. Like I don't, I, I don't. Oh, I remember know. back in onslaught days. Like you'd open it up, and it's like, oh man, a stupid land is my rare. This sucks. <laughs> Why do I want to fetch an island or a or a plains? I can just run the islands. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, when original dual lands come out, I for sure tried to explain to somebody that I forget which duel it was. It must have been like boil and tsunami yeah it must have been island and no not boil it was two different things that could destroy it flash fires all right so like flash fires and tsunami could both destroy this card so it's yeah. bad mm-hmm. it's, like, <laughs> it's too exposed man too exposed yeah, it's just you're just leaving yourself open what are you doing just just play a basic 
Uh, oh man, that's funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Pat, the thing uh, I was hearing is that a lot of stores are going out of business because of Baldur's Gate because uh, apparently Wizards is, I don't know how much you can speak on this, Eric, but uh, supply on a lot of uh, sets was actually really low in the past couple of years. So stores weren't getting a lot. And then Baldur's Gate comes out and it's the first set where like stores can order as much as they want. Oh no. So stores just bought the Baldur's Gate like by the pallet and it's just sitting there because no one wants to buy the set. Oh. Yep, it's brutal. It is brutal. And I actually, I just bought two booster boxes off my distributor because I don't know where. I'm, I'm doing a lot of revamping around here. And yep. somebody came in looking for Baldur's Gate. I didn't have it. I sold him like original Commander Legends instead. So I didn't lose the sale. So I didn't feel too bad. But I was like, all right, I got to get Baldur's Gate back on the shelf. Yeah. So I got a couple of boxes from my distributor. I get it in and I'm like, huh, I probably should have just like ordered this off of Amazon. Like, this is brutal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a disaster. Like, I cannot sell this anywhere near. Like, the, like it's just a mess. I like, just went in the cabinet and it's like, all right, I will. I will think about this in five or 10 years. Oh, brutal. Like just not worth having out. It just, when, yeah, when, you can, when you can get it cheaper off online than you can from actual distributors, you know, it's a problem. <laughs> what yeah. is MSRP on Baldur's Gate? Do you know for a pack? They don't have MSRP anymore. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So the, the rest of the world doesn't have MSRP. It's kind of a, a dumb idea. Like in general, like MSRP is pretty much nonsense. And all it does is let people get salty. Like, Nobody comes in and is sorry. People will be outraged when you're above MSRP mm-hmm. and those same people will be furious if you're charging MSRP on other things. So it's like, what do you mean? It's $144 for this booster box mm-hmm. online. They're $105 and it's just like, okay, yeah, someone's going out of business and they're selling them super cheap. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like go to Star City Games and they're, you know, 120, which is where I'm at. Like, but in the same sense, if it's, you know, the the other direction, like they just want it both ways. So MSRP is kind of, it's, it's there to be like, oh, you shouldn't sell it for more than that when it's more. But if it's less, of course it's less. Like, well, the thing is, is MSRP isn't even necessarily supposed to be for consumers. It's really for like, uh, like stores to know, you know, what they should price it at to stay, you know, in relative, uh, you know, level with their competitors. Like it's the, it's the manufacturer's suggested retail price. You know, this is what they, like they do that for stores. They're not necessarily doing that for consumers to be like, Oh, this is what you should pay for it. Yeah. I mean, we don't need it is the reality. Like any store is going to be able to take a look around at the market and see the information's widely available. Yeah. You're seeing the same thing that your customers are seeing. It, it just feels you know what Amazon is doing direct with wizards. Like, you know, what's going on. So for them to say, you know, you should sell something at, you know, X price. I mean, it's just. It it feels like something from before the internet. It's like yeah. before the internet existed. Yeah. Just okay. Hop yeah. on and look up and see how much something is like, this was a way for you to like, understand like, okay, this is what the price should be. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I guess I do use MSRP for the Dungeons and Dragons books and stuff. And they, you know, they sell really slowly. It's mostly like a convenience thing when somebody like really wants it right this Mm -hmm. second, they know I'm going to have them. But I mean, they're not everything else beside magic cards is kind of a joke. Like, it's fine. Like I have D&D. I've got tons of board games. But like, you have any idea how many board games you need to sell to make up for like 
one person like picking up a piece of power i mean it's yeah. just like months and months and months i was of- gonna ask you like what is the, so I, i'm not super familiar with board games like what are the margins on stuff like that generally it depends on how fast you want to sell them if you just take an actual margin like if you're for example lining up with msrp yeah i mean they're just gonna kind of slowly sell you're gonna have people that come in and really value the expertise and the selection. And we have a big demo section where people can inspect the quality of the components and stuff. So for us, you know, we've got some people that are going to support the store. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that hobby is people that are going to min-max everything. And they're just going to try and find the cheapest possible price online. And that's just not going to be my customers. So uh, there are some uh, in the board game industry, there are some rules about how cheap you can go from different manufacturers. Like they don't want you to just blow stuff out. They don't want you to put it on clearance mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like, nope, like you're not allowed to sell it. You're not allowed to advertise it for less than this price. So there's gotcha. an okay, yeah. advertised price and then there's a MSRP. Um, but yeah, I mean, the margins kind of average across all retail avenues. Mm-hmm. It's not exceptional. Like you're not going to get rich selling board games it's not like mm-hmm. jewelry or something where it's like a thousand percent markup right uh, or, or like even food or something but for regular retail they're kind of in line uh with with most other things and i mean i I've, i mostly do it just because i enjoy them yeah well i was gonna say i feel most stores sell board games like most gaming stores i should sell sell board games more is just like to have you know something nice to look at lining the shelves because if you think about it like card games don't really take up that much shelf space. It's like, yeah, you can have your display cases and you can have your booster packs and whatever. But if you have a decent sized store, you're not really going to fill that store with all magic products unless you have just like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of magic product being on display at all times. Whereas board games is just something nice, uh, compact, colorful, and, you know, relatively cheap comparatively that you can fill shelves with and, you know, really give your, your space volume and, you yep. know, not just look like you have bare shelves. Yes. When people come in that don't know what magic is, muggles, if you will, like you can yep. just like point them towards something that they might actually buy without trying to explain to them that this little piece of cardboard is worth a thousand dollars, you know, or just like the wrong person be like this little piece of cardboard is worth a thousand dollars and it's a stack of 40 of them. Like you don't like, it's fine. We do not need people that are not in the magic world, understanding how valuable magic cards it's fine. (laughs) Like just (laughs) have something else to divert them to. Like it's, it's all good. Um, And you know, we've, we've actually got a lot of great stuff for that. It's, it is fun to have people come in and experience new board games and stuff. And we'll be doing Mm -hmm. a, at least the magic club, if not a full blown tabletop club again uh, with the kids this year, I'm I'm talking to the library right now. We're trying to figure out if it's going to be at the, the middle school or if i'm just going to go ahead and do it at the library i think the library would be a better fit because man i don't know i just the public schools they just irk me like the the way that they <laughs> they've got the announcer uh, the announce uh from PA the system. from the office the pa system thank you and i'm just like oh like this just like who who wants that like just like figure <laughs> it out man just send me a text or something like i don't need this like it's just being barked at every day telling yeah. them which buses are ready and stuff it's just yeah, I don't enjoy that aspect of it. So I think the library will be kind of chill. They got a nice big kind of area that we could really have some fun and, and hopefully not be too rowdy. So we'll, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see if we can make that work. But for sure, I'm going to be doing more stuff with the kids and it's getting back to, you know, it's just so important to bring in that next generation. Yeah, like, definitely. You know, uh, Jerry's concerns are, are 
super valid when it talks about accessibility to the format where mm-hmm. we don't see eye to eye is, is I just think there are so many options. And I think with these new printings that we keep seeing, I just think there's going to be more and more options for people to play that don't use the reserve list. And to me, I think that's kind of the best thing wizards could do is just continue to keep creating cards and then players will figure it out. They don't necessarily have to try. I don't think they thought that they were going to make eight cast, you know, when they made Kappa cannon here. Sure. Yeah. I don't think that was where they were at. It's just, we'll sort it out. Just keep doing your thing. And we'll just keep building decks and the more budget options there are, the better. And then once you're in, then you can start, you know, working toward those bigger goals. That's mm-hmm. what you need. I mean, you need things to aim at. You, you got to have goals. And, you know, I just think getting a, a high end magic card is a great goal, especially when they continually go up in value over time. You know, that's that is something that I do need to point out every once in a while to people because they'll look at the prices and say, like, oh, it only ever goes up. And it's like, I mean, the chart has ups and downs. Like, right, what, right. Like, why are you saying that? Like, you know, it's not true. Like, it's, <laughs> the long term trajectory is up. There's you can't, you can't buy high and sell low if it never goes low. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what people do. They, they, some people, when they see it start to cool off, they panic because in their heads, it's only ever supposed to go up. And it's like, yeah, Underground C, when they are handing out the stimulus checks for 1200 bucks, Underground C was a $1,200 card. Now that's hilarious, but it also like cooled back down to like a thousand bucks. That's a 20% cool off pretty much. Like that's roughly, I mean, that's a significant cool off in anything else, Yeah. but in magic cards, it's just like, all right, yeah, it got a little crazy and it came back down. It's a vibrant market. You're going to see swings, but that long-term trajectory, I mean, in 10 or 20 years, when underground sees $2,000, nobody should be surprised at that when it's, when it's two grand. Yeah. And it's also, that's the other thing it brings up is, uh, you know, I've learned hard lesson time and time again is, uh, you know, never sell only buy, you know, cause I like, I sold my, uh, my foil mox diamonds back in 2019, right before the pandemic for like 250 bucks. And now they're going for, you know, 750 bucks. So it's, it's, you know, hindsight. Did you just say you're going to be selling your cars to get a house? (laughs) So I'm selling, I'm selling all my non-reserved list stuff, which I guess kind of makes me a huge hypocrite in saying that, like, I want the reserve list to go away. But at the same time, I'm also cognizant of the fact that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine selling all my modern cards. Like, yeah, take, take all my, uh, my Liliana's and, you know, all these other like random modern playable cards that I just don't play with anymore. But Mm -hmm. the cards I'm holding on to are my reserve list cards, right? (laughs) Because I know those are the ones that are going to keep going up year over year. Yeah. 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 I've, I've complicated feelings about the reserve list. I can see both sides pretty, I can understand why someone would be in favor of keeping it, but we don't need to, we don't need to crack that open tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, don't worry. I, I, on Sunday, I was already talking about your bingo ball strategy. About- I, well, all right. So, so <laughs> I still think that's the best, that's the best uh, compromise we can come up with. You know? it, it's, it, I think it's been a year since you talked about it, Pat. I think you should remind our listeners about your, your, your way to solve the reserve list. All right. So you need to li- number every card in the reserve list, right? Every card <laughs> corresponds to the number. Oh, I thought we were just like taking one copy of each card and putting it in one of those like vacuum. You could also loop. crumble each card up into a, into roughly a ball and put them in this. That's, <laughs> no, actually, I was honestly, thinking, I was thinking that would be like, kind of cool. Like when the crumbled up black Lotus comes out, that'd be pretty <laughs> awesome. Actually. No, I thought it was going to be like one of those, well, those like game shows where like they stand in a big tube with a fan and they like, well, yeah, so, yeah, so basically, like, you know, when you play bingo, they got the big cage, you roll it or it's a big ball. It's got a big, you know, it's got a, uh, 
large handle on the side, you roll it, you roll it, you roll it, you open up the window, you pull out a ball. You just do the same thing with a reserve list. And then you then all you say is, listen, once once a number is called, right? Once every quarter or whatever, however you want to do it, that card is no longer on the reserve list. Or or say it 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 it, it expires from the reserve list in two years. So anyone who has those cards can get rid of them if you want to sell them and capitalize on your gains. That's not already. how the market works, though, Pat. You, you can sell you, them. You sell huh? the news. You sell the news. As soon as that, as soon as that card gets removed, its its price is going to tank. Even if it's, it's not, it will never. Like if you said that Black Lotus is going to get reprinted in two years, I don't think that your price would ever tank because the old the OG version of any card is always going to be considered more highly valuable than any any reprint. I don't think there's any reprint that's out there that's considered that's that is of more valuable card than than the original right yeah and, th- and that's fine for your alpha beta cards but keep in mind the majority of people who have reserve list cards have the revised version and i do think eric has a good point with this in that the revised version of that card would probably tank in price yeah but they were meant to they're whiteboard cards they're supposed they were supposed to be inexpensive versions of of these reserve list cards right wasn't that the whole point of revised true uh-huh. I, I would push back if, if you were asking about are there reprints that are worth more than the originals? Yes, there's actually a ton of them. Uh, okay, but funny. but Eric, you don't understand. I'm supposed to be just speaking here, uh, the grandiose terms, not getting any pushback. <laughs> I'm not here for fact checkers, Eric. Okay, I'm just, I'm just here to throw these ideas out there. I'm like, damn man, you gotta stop sandbagging me, dude. <laughs> uh, but my, my point is, it's just like, I mean, it's all in fun, but like. Some people do have like legitimate amounts of money tied up in reserveless cards. Like I have a handful of dual lands and that's, and like, and like some, uh, some sweet, uh, 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 what's that weather like card there that, that, oh, null rods. Like I have a bunch of copies of null rod cause I love null rod as a card. And it always, I just always knew it was going to be more expensive than it was selling for like three years ago. But like, that's really all I have to have in reserve list. So I don't have a ton of stake in like, in saying like, oh, these cards should be off the reserve list. Oh, they should stay on the reserve list. Sounds like communism to me. I, I mean, Jerry, <laughs> like, honestly, I can't believe you don't have a hammer and sickle like tattooed in your neck. You know what I mean? Like, you can't say that to me, buddy. <laughs> um, but no, I, it, I, I, I can see both sides of it, honestly. Like my, my thing is like, I just want, I love legacy so much that like, to me, like, Legacy is only ever going to get smaller. I don't think we'll ever see legacy grow as a format. And that is just a bummer to me. That's all. Like, I mean, but we have to me, seen it's the legacy. best. I, I like er, the way Eric said it was like, it's the purest form of magic. And that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to it. Like, because I, you know, I came back in 2014 after being gone for 10 or 12 years or whatever. And uh, I started playing standard, but it didn't take me long to realize that like the, gr- the constant grind of standard cards, having to buy in over and over and over again. And like never being like I I found a deck that I fell in love with, but then like six months later or nine months later, I can't play that deck anymore. And that really sucked to me as a standard player. Well, and well, legacy was a was a format where like I could find a deck that I loved and just play it. Right. Well, Pat, I, I'm gonna push back on that though, because I don't think it's fair to say that legacy isn't growing because if in in gaming, if you're not growing, you're dying. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that legacy events are staying pretty consistent. You know, we're seeing 25, 30 person events in like local stores all over the country. That, Jerry, we're seeing is, things like the legacy. Jerry, for you to say that that's evidence of a growing format is fucking well, yeah, wild. Yeah, because it's the fact, no, because if, if the Fuck format, wild, if the format wasn't growing, 
those events wouldn't be taking place because you're going to be constantly losing players to attrition. You know, people are going to age out. They're going to get families. They're going to sell out their collection and people just leave the format. Yeah. And if, if where the, do you think if the, the fucking Star Cities went, Jerry? If the game, if the where do the Star going, Cities though, go, those Jerry? People aren't, those people aren't being replaced. And we are seeing like legacy is at least at replacement level. Like oh, I at, think I, I at disagree. least replacing the level that we're, replacing I, I, I disagree. And I higher. think that the fact that we live in a place where we are so lucky to have such a vibrant scene that's been cultivated for like, oh, like it's taken oh, a lot. No, like but dude, think people, of like, the people, people like Eric on the podcast, like the huh? Arizona legacy league, the Polish guys, like we're seeing <laughs> they're from Poland, by the way, they're not just like, <laughs> they're not just a bunch of <laughs> Jerry. That's how that was a little iffy there. The buddy. Poland legacy league. I didn't know the proper way to say it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the no, Polacks, I, I, I think of the Polacks. To, for you to say that legacy is growing or at, at, at a replacement value is, is crazy to me. Because if, if that was the case, then you would still see events. We you would still see Star like City, Arizona like, Legacy League, huh? We wouldn't be seeing things like the Arizona Legacy League you, where they bootstrapped would, up, Jerry, because they bootstrapped up an entire scene. Those are community-driven events. Yes, so like, that is not. <laughs> those are mutually exclusive. That does <laughs> not course. mean that this. I, I just. I think that it's. It's. I don't think that it's growing personally. And I, I think I think I think you're selling it short in the fact that like legacy isn't selling out like stadiums and you know we're not having you know 800 person GPs anymore. Uh, more I think having to do with you know the uh, the pandemic more than the format itself. Um I think you're you're discrediting the fact that you're not seeing these like absurd numbers. You're discrediting the amount that it is a slow but steady, you know, increase. I, I just think it's wild that you're like, oh, we're it's still it's still thriving when like the one the things that you are saying are like like Arizona Legacy League was made because their legacy scene was dying and these people really feel more passionate about it. Well, no, and they it was... fight they fight Buffalo Chicken Dip. Another thing, no legacy scene over there. They're fighting to keep it alive. Like that, like Yes, that is a that is a great sign that people are passionate about the format, but that is not the sign of a healthy like of a of a healthy game. I want to hear Eric's point of view because he also was saying if it was a healthy blood. game, if it was a healthy game, there'd be enough money in it for someone to throw a big event. And there's just it, I don't think there is. Like what's the I think that's more get, to do with the psychology of players than, than the, the format itself, though. Hmm. I think we'll see what it looks like when we get the eternal championships back in paper um i think when you look at the like in play peaked probably what eight years ago like you look at uh let's see here so the largest legacy largest legacy gp was four thousand people in 2014 the largest standard was 3,300 players in 2016. So like legacy has absolutely crushed standard in Mm -hmm. terms of player support Mm-hmm. And modern is just slightly above, and that was 2014. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I guess the challenge there to really figure out if you're right or not would be to take a look at all organized play mm-hmm. and take a look at like what type of turnouts are we really having, and is that specific to legacy or not? I don't think it is. I think, I think Wizards kind of dropped the ball when it came to organized play in the pro tour. hundred percent. I think they had ideological reasons for that. I think they care deeply about, or at least have a pretense of it. I don't know them, but like their, their statements about, um, you know, the, the demographics and what they want the pro tour to look like mm-hmm. that disenfranchises some people. When you say it's totally. going to be people yeah. that are high profile, get to make it mm-hmm. instead of, 
it you becomes can, influencers rather than skill. Instead yes. of instead instead of like setting up a quota of diversity, I, I get what you're saying, right? Like, the and best... I understand where Wizards is coming from too. Like, hey, we want to we want to show that we're a diverse game because listen, people from every walk of life play Magic. We want those people represented in our in our pro tour. I I get like I get I think that's what they were saying, right? Like, yeah, and I just yeah. think that's I think that's actually just incorrect is the issue. I, they they literally became their own meme because for the years and years and years the meme was the pro tour is not the professional tour it's the promotional tour and wizards would always say it's like no it's not that it's really about the professionals right and then one day wizards woke up and was like you know what it is the promotion yeah (laughs) i just want to say eric that i just so before we move on that i i agree with you like i think that having you know your professional tour should be your best players with the best records who have earned their way in It, it shouldn't be about you know I get, I get the reason why they wanted to do it. I just think it was, I think it was counterproductive to what they were doing. Yeah. And I think that, I think it was, I think they showed. I'll, I'll try and tip through, through, tiptoe through this landmine. The yeah. NFL, <laughs> the NFL looks the way it does because mm-hmm. it's a meritocracy. Just the best players have to succeed. Yep. It's not like somebody set out to have a certain demographic or mm-hmm. certain groups or whatever. They just said, I want to win games. Yes. And I will pay you millions of dollars if you can help me win games yes now that's not necessarily the same thing as the organization the nfl and their inclusivity in terms of how they represent their fans how they include their fans how welcoming they are to people talking about announcers Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all of these different roles within the organization yes like there's there's a very valid aspect when you're talking about inclusivity and diversity and allowing 100%. people to participate. Yep. But there's also kind of paramount to that when you're on the competitive side. Yes. Getting all of everything out of the way yes. and saying, we don't want anything to stop the best person yes. from winning here. If you're yes. looking at whoever's getting on the podium at the Olympics for wrestling, there is not a person on the planet <laughs> that can be like, oh, I just didn't, you know, I, I could have beat that person. Yeah, it's like, no, right. this is the straight up best person in that. C- correct. And the NFL, like that type of concept where it's like, we're going to just let the best in there. Mm-hmm. That should be the mentality for the pro tour. Yes. When it comes to announcers and commentary and personalities and all that stuff, that I think is where it's a really interesting point. But yeah. On the one hand, it's like, yeah, you can be conscious of this and try and make sure if you have some type of biases where you're like, oh, yeah, we just a way that you can get there, for example, is if you only have the people that are competitors as the announcers, well, then that can actually be kind of homogeneous. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. I mean, the people that are competitors might fall into certain demographic groups. But then if we only pull from that pool, we're going to miss out on all of these other valuable perspectives. Yes. So it's just. We it's a need real- our Dennis Miller in the booth, guys. That's what we need. I don't know who that is. Nobody. Pat. Nobody. You guys <laughs> don't watch football. Oh God. Oh, right, I mind. mean, he had he had some never moments. mind. He had some moments. <laughs> he was just. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, anyway. Sorry. Yeah. That 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 flopped about as badly as it could. So we'll just move on. <laughs> Read the room, Pat. Read the I mean, room. It was yeah. a little meta. That, that, I mean, he had yeah, some lines but, like but that. I, I, Eric, I think you. I think you put that really much better than I could. Like, I, I completely agree with you. Like. competition is supposed to be about just that right it's supposed to be about the best of the best and you can't fake you can't fake who should be in in a competition because i think it detracts from what sport is supposed to be right um and yeah and i think i i i yeah 
you did a great job. Nice job. Nice. It's, it's a minefield. I, I mean, it, it's, no, it, it totally is. And like, and I, you know, take, I, I'm sure people can be very upset with aspects of what I said, but I yeah, mean, that's, well, I, I, mean, I, can't, I think that's part of the problem too, is like, it's gotten to the point where we can't even like have conversations about these things because it's such a minefield. And then we just, we're spitting our tires in the mud. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just disagree. I think we have to try anyways. I think you right. just have to like speak honestly. And if somebody has a problem with it, then they should be civil enough to be like, Hey, what you said was upsetting to me. Like, can we talk about this? Can we sort right. it out? And I just, you know, but I think it's a very dangerous thing when people believe that they can't express what they actually think, because mm-hmm. we have a responsibility. Like that's, that's part of your responsibility in society. We literally outsource our saneness <laughs> to everyone around us. Like everyone around us helps keep us sane. When we show up looking like a slob in our pajama pants, <laughs> Those looks that we get from people are like, oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have, maybe that's, I should have put on airs a little bit here. That, you know what I mean? Like, Lazar, I love. Did you ever watch the show Big Mouth on uh, Netflix? I've like, I've seen it. Yeah. Basically, the whole premise is like it's it's set in like the sixth grade kids, and they're all their emotions are like actual like monsters that like give them advice. So there's like the hormone monster, and there's like the depression cat, and one of them is the shame wizard. Yeah, <laughs> so good. <laughs> and it actually like really brought a perspective of me. It's like we think of shame as this like bad negative emotion, and we want to avoid shame at all times. But they brought up the good point that like shame is actually a very useful skill to have because shame is what prevents you from, you know, showing up to a tournament wearing, you know, a thong. (laughs) Honestly, Jerry, like I, I, Honestly, I think that would be my next tournament like attire would just be a thong. Yeah, just so, a straight thong. Yeah, I have no shame. <laughs> Eric, no, it does. It does pure... keep us in line with. It does keep you in line with social norms, though, right? Like, it, right. you know. Yeah, and and it's important to have that because without shame, you just have people, you know, being shameful. <laughs> yeah, beating off in public. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is. It is oh, important man. to have those at times. Yeah. <laughs> The shame, not the beating off and bumping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, All right. Well, let's uh let's start wrapping this one up, Jerry. Let's do it. Um, Eric, uh, I know you, so I know you have your YouTube channel. Do you want to plug it here and let people know where they can find you on YouTube and and yeah. on uh, and, and the actual physical location of your store? Which by the way, Jerry and I have been to a bunch of times. I don't think I ever go to your store, Eric, without buying like if not magic cards, I always walk away with like some games. Like I think the last time I was in there, I got um Skull, which I still haven't played yet, but I like oh, it's so on my good. bureau. And um and uh the Jabba's Palace, the love letter game, yes. which my yep. my kids and I played and was like right up our alley. So so much fun. Love oh, awesome to hear. Yeah, that one that was it's tough to improve on a classic like that. Love letter at this point is I, I would argue a classic game and do it to slightly improve on it like that is just perfect, especially yeah. when it's got that star Wars flavor. Oh yeah. yeah it's a great yeah. one. I'm was, glad you enjoyed awesome. it. Um, but yeah, please tell, tell people about your store. Yeah. So we're in Bellingham mass. Uh, that's about three minutes from my house. So if I'm not open, sometimes I'll like actually meet people here for buying big collections, but it's uh, really easy to get to right off of 495 and we hold Wednesday and Friday night legacy. And every Saturday we do an open series event for the most part. That's going to be a rotating schedule of, of course, legacy, but popper, modern, pre-modern, vintage. Uh, we do team events once a month and that's either unified legacy or team trio in a variety of different formats. And we're just primarily a game center. That's our, our main reason for existing is to keep magic going. I mean, 
legacy is extremely important to me. It is like the primary reason why I have a store instead of just, you know, doing stuff online and, you know, doing other businesses that are open to me. I mean, this is really what I want to be doing. I could be worth, Mm -hmm. you know, $20 million and I'd still be doing this. Like this Mm -hmm. is absolutely, you know, what I enjoy and, you know, seeing the next generation of kids and stuff coming up. We do a YouTube channel where we do feature matches. That's double speed. And I do commentary over it. It's the same as the store name, ELD's Timeball Games. And you can see hundreds and hundreds of legacy videos. But we also have Popper and a bunch of other formats on there. And uh, we've been doing rules videos and, you know, budget deck techs, all of that stuff. I'm trying to get out a video a day for the most part. Here and there, I, I do fall behind. But, you know, the, when things are going well, it's a video a day. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And uh, for those who don't know, Bellingham's down in Southern Mass, right on the, you know, like Rhode Island and pretty close to, yeah, it's central, central Mass. Central, yeah. yeah. But it's, my point is it's close to, you know, Rhode Island and Connecticut too. Yes. uh, Yeah. We border Rhode Island. Yep. Absolutely. So for uh, our Southern New England friends too, you know, great, great store to check out. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Pretty central. Um, Let's let, oh, sorry. What was that? I was going to say, it's actually pretty easy to get to from everywhere. Like I, I go up to Manchester and, and uh, I'm sorry, Nashua and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, not even an hour. So yeah, it's, it's very, very easy to get to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also like a great selection of cards. I think every time I go in there, uh, I always have like a sideboard, <laughs> a sideboard of cards I need to find. And uh, like nine, 99 times out of a hundred, he's got them all for me. So um yeah definitely check out the store eric thank you so much for coming on man and chatting with us man it's great to talk to you yeah, uh, it's always sure. a great time guys appreciate it um Hell yeah do you want to get into scoops and poops cherry scoops what do you want to scoop in the top eight this week uh i definitely need to scoop in my two teammates from uh the unified uh tournament this sunday uh brent gilmore and uh dan hall uh some of my oldest magic friends you know i i was playing magic with them when i first got into legacy when i was playing uh you know, reanimator with uh buried alive because I couldn't inform afford in tombs, <laughs> you know, back back in the early 2000s. So uh or not early 2000s, you know, mid late later 2000s. But uh, you know, it was great seeing them. Uh, you know, I haven't seen a lot of them since pre-pandemic. So, you know, awesome, awesome events. And also Eric, just for uh, you know, giving us a reason to get out and play and you know, giving those guys a reason to sleeve their decks up again for the first time in years. Oh, thanks. That's awesome. Yeah, like, what about you, Eric? Who you want to scoop in? Uh, well, I got to start with the uh, the young players that have been showing up at the store. We got uh, Jacob, Josh, Lucas, Riley, and Victor. They've been showing up for our FNMs, and it's awesome to see. Uh, but kind of an interesting one, uh, the CDH players. I've been mm. noticing this great spirit of uh, CDH. We started running CDH opens at the store here where we give like Tropical Island for first. And I wasn't sure if they were actually going to show up and compete because there's the kind of that element of like, you want to pretend like you're competitive, but you're not ready to put down 50 bucks and, and see what you're made of. And the events have been awesome. And more importantly to me, we're also seeing a lot of those players now stepping over into legacy. So some of the better players mm. from CDH, when they want to play a single player format, legacy is the one that's really connecting with them rather than modern or pop, you know, pioneer or anything like that. So we're going to be supporting, you know, that, that competitive commander crowd in hopes of just in time, really growing the legacy scene. I see that being the next wave of people coming in as they, they really get better at the game. Mm -hmm. There's no better place to prove it than in legacy. 
Now, is CEDH one-on-one or is it four-man pods? It's four-player pods. Okay. Yep, they're they're four-player pods. And if you win the pod, you get three points. If you come in second in the pod, you get zero points, just like everyone else. The only <laughs> thing that matters is winning. That's it. If you're not first, you're last, Brick exactly. and Bobby. <laughs> exactly. So it's a, it's a single game, and it's 75 minutes to play a single game, four people, and uh, it's great. I mean, it's it's wild board states. It's complicated combo decks. And, you know, seeing those players stepping up. I mean, Aiden came up from CEDH. He won our CEDH Open, used the winnings to get some legacy cards. Mm-hmm. And he got eight cast built. And he's got nice. eight cast and death and taxes, both, you know, non-reserve list decks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but he does go out and get reserve list cards for his commander decks. And eventually, you know, he's getting those dual lands and everything. And at a certain point, I'm sure there'll be some type of control deck that's only running one of each duel. And that's going to be very much his speed is just like such an easy transition. So mm-hmm. that's yeah, the, that that's was, the next generation. I think. Yeah. That was kind of the, the saddest part about Astrolabe being banned is for a good portion of magic's history. You know, you could get away with playing one or two dual lands and having a tier one, you know, competitive legacy deck with only one or two dual lands. Uh, but I'm glad to hear that, you know, uh, team prove Pat and Jerry wrong, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, uh, you know, legacy is growing. We got new blood coming in, uh, you know, putting decks together. So uh, I love to see that. <laughs> yeah. We're only, uh, we're only eight years away from our highest uh, GP number ever, Jerry. We can, we can get back there. I'm sure. Like Pat, you, you totally missed that. That has nothing to do with legacy and everything to do with wizards. Just dropping the balls on com- <laughs> dropping the ball <laughs> on, com- on competitive magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, All right. What about you, Pat? Did you have scoops in? Oh, um, no, <laughs> no, no, not, not today. I got Sounds nothing good. today. I'll Sounds scoop in good. Eric for coming on, man. It was it was awesome to have wow, him on. Two I, love, I love talking to Eric. Two scoops. <laughs> two scoops. Two Double James. scoops. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Eric. Again, uh, please check out uh, ELD Time Vault Games in Bellingham. It's a great store. They have lo- lots of awesome events. Obviously, you cater to a bunch of different formats, uh, not just Legacy. Oh. Um, and yeah, check them out. Pat, and again, we, we almost forgot on, the man. big announcement. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jerry. Sorry. <laughs> we picked a date for the next uh, Leaving a Legacy Open. Yes. It is going to be October 8th. <laughs> yes. So that is uh, just over a month away. It's uh, it's actually five weeks away from now. Oh, uh, wow. So- yeah, it, is, it is super close, actually. I didn't realize yeah. how close that was. Super close. So awesome. uh, looking forward to seeing everyone there. Pat, we're Sweet. going to need to find something new to do because uh, unless we're just going to run the hot sauce thing again. Uh, oh, also, I meant out. to say, um, yeah, we had a um, a new patron, uh, I think last week, the week before. Oh, sorry, Tuesday. Uh, Matt Dunnigan. So thank you so much for joining the Patreon. Um, if you want to support the show, obviously, it helps a bunch if you go to patreon.com slash leaving legacy. Um, and we also had um, Matt Kiefer uh, email us about Maybe doing a, a you know, I know we did room to grow for our last fundraiser. We donated what, like, I don't know, the twelve hundred dollars something like that, or if it, it, was a, it was, we did a nice donation for them. So um, he has another one he wanted to mention to us, which is called Project Bread. So I'll be in touch with you, Matt, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about that, doing that for the next uh, the next fundraiser. And I don't know how we're gonna raise funds, Jerry. Again, like the hot sauce challenge was was awesome. I would one hundred percent do that again. It was a blast. I, yeah, I just I'm afraid of people getting bored with this, bringing it back the same. So if other people, well, have, this time uh, you have to shoot it in your eye. 
Jesus Christ. Eventually it's going to the point where it's like me and Pat in the parking lot. It's like, all right, guys, <laughs> we get a hundred more dollars. We'll tase Pat in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> I would a hundred percent get tased for, uh, for that, for sure. <laughs> for, for, for sure. charity. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Well, I don't give a shit. All right. Some, someone want to send us in suggest suggestions that won't put Pat or I in the hospital ways that we can or just raise, a little bit money. just like an overnight stay i could use a night off with no kids you know <laughs> leaving a legacy jackass yeah <laughs> awesome well eric thanks for coming on man we appreciate it we'll catch y'all next week all right peace yeah <laughs> oh man i remember playing back in 94 when three mana never got me a four-four I remember playing back in 94 Before storm, before the grizzled brands and neoforms I remember playing back in 95 Battling the ivory tower with my black I remember playing back in 95 When the only force of will was the one we had inside You say we've come so far I say where we going So many planeswalkers The stained glass ceiling's broken Gold-plated diamond cards Still our wallets open Take me back to 94 I remember playing in March of 96 Trading Bad Moon and Green Ward for a chromium I remember playing in March of 96 When my local game store still sold packs of legends And they were only $10 a pack back then Which seemed like an awful lot to me at a time Cause I was a kid and I didn't make any money So I had to beg my mom to buy me one and finally she did And I was really hoping that I would open an Elder Dragon Legend But instead I opened a Tempest of Freet but I learned to love that Tempest of Freed, and I put that Tempest of Freed into every single deck that I made, but I was too scared to use its ability, because I couldn't bear the thought of losing my Tempest of Freed. That's what it meant to play Magic back then. We had a real emotional connection to the cards. Not like these kids today with their fancy Twitter accounts and their sideboard guides and their arena tournaments. Back in my day, when we would open a pack of cards, it was magical. We didn't know what we were going to get. Now it's all ones and zeros. I opened a $5 card. I'll trade you for your $7 card, or you're going to have to give me two extra dollars of value. No! Back in my day, when we traded for a card, it was because we liked it. I traded two dual lands for a minion of Leshurac. Have you seen the picture on that card? You say we've come so far. I still say where we go in. So many planes walkers, the stained glass ceiling's broken. Gold-plated diamond cards, still our wallets open. Take me back to 94.